She is the, the when, I am the now, and together we're the how. That marketer needs more than just the potential to be a marketer. They need to be able to manage the marketing as a whole. Welcome to the House Flipping HQ podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of wholesaling and house flipping businesses. The systems and automation that we discuss will help you build a real business instead of another job for yourself. From beginners to those doing hundreds of houses a year, we go deep into the details and strategies that are working today. And now your host, Bill Allen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the House Flipping HQ podcast. This is Bill Allen. And uh, today I have a real treat for you. I've been doing this series of uh, people in my company. So the management staff of my company. And this is the fourth time that we've kind of come to you with the podcast um, with uh, the fourth different set of people inside the company. And uh, today I've got kind of my uh, marketing manager. So chief marketing officer of the company and her husband, Joe, who Joe's going to tell you what he does. It's like data analytics and a bunch of other stuff. So uh, really excited to bring Heather and Joe Foster to you guys today. And I think you're going to get a lot from this podcast. So welcome guys. How are you doing? Doing all right. How are you? I'm doing good. So uh, I just kind of got them on the video and said, Hey, Heather, are you nervous? You seem a little bit nervous. And she said, yes. (laughs) I'm a big uh, prepper. I like to prepare for things. And this seems to be just kind of on the fly. And that's kind of how I do things. It's really just kind of seat of the pants. Hey, we'll figure it out when we get on there and let's see what we can talk about. Because that's I really. Is marketing. That's it. <laughs> that's exactly right. But I always feel like kind of, the, you know, the best conversation comes with when you don't prepare for things, you just kind of see where it goes. Uh, I learned a ton about um, all the different people. I learned a ton about Nate, about Chad, about Val, uh, that I didn't even know about them in uh, you know, even working with them for a year or more. So um, this is pretty cool. I've been having a lot of fun doing this. So I think uh, I'm going to learn a lot about you guys today. So I'm excited. All right. So let's start with uh, just tell everybody kind of like who you are, your story a little bit and um, kind of a little bit about your background and maybe that'll help us get going. Sure. They're pretty intertwined. I'll let you start. Okay. Well, hi, I'm Heather. Um, I run the marketing department at Blackjack and this is Joe, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I do uh, uh, data analytics and uh, sort of run through the numbers and see what they tell about the future. As far as backstory is concerned, I think that we live the furthest north of everybody who works at Blackjack. We live in northern Michigan, so snowstorm central pretty much. <laughs> um, as far as background is concerned, I've been in marketing over eight years now. I actually got started in marketing by starting my own mental health blog after my second daughter was born. I had postpartum depression and wasn't quite sure what was going on with my mental state. So as a stay-at-home mom to two kids, I needed an outlet of sorts. So I started Mental Parent, and that was shortly before I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, which added additional content to my blog, which was interesting. Uh, The transition from solely postpartum depression to more uh, mental conditions or mental illnesses, depending on how you translate that. Um, So I learned a lot about self-promotion at that time. I wanted more people to read my blog. This was prior to the mental health movement where everybody was a lot more accepting uh, now than they were back then. So I had to learn how to get people to read what I was writing. Um, I kind of started dabbling in Facebook ads and learning about AdWords, which 
I had no idea what I was doing. I was just, I had like $10 to my name and I'm like, well, I've got to figure out how to get people to read this. Um, I fired. <laughs> yes. And I lost money doing it in the beginning. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but I had such a passion for it, for actually getting people to respond to my blog posts and getting a following behind me. I, I learned a lot about branding. Uh, fast forward only a year after that, I started working with Some, Some Frog Shirts, which is a huge print-on-demand company out of Gaylord, Michigan. I'm sure most people have seen a couple ads run through with I love my pug and you know, from, I'm born in 1968 kind of t-shirts. Um, we printed those kind of things. When I came in there, they didn't have a marketing department. They didn't have anything like that. They didn't have a social presence. And it was, again, a trial by fire for me. I walked in there and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm gonna really try. And they're still using some of my marketing tactics over there, which is great because that's like seven years ago. <laughs> um, One of the tactics was uh, she built from the ground up their call center, which is something they didn't have before. It was three people at one desk in the reception area. That's how they <laughs> ran our call center. And she came in and really analyzed the situation. And with her you know, prior experience, built a call center, which exploded their business. They were able to handle huge volumes in dealing with uh, sales and uh, reputation. Mm -hmm. So that, uh, that, was, that went a long way to help grow Sunfrog. Yeah. From there, I kind of found myself in the print-on-demand industry. I, uh, I worked with four separate companies over several years. Um, between all of those years, I worked with one company called T-Launch, and my marketing efforts launched $25,000 a month program to a million dollar a month program, um, which was explosive growth. And it had a lot to do with reaching out to new manufacturers and vendors and you know, thinking outside of the box. Um, when I came to Blackjack, I wanted a transition. So I felt like the print-on-demand and e-commerce space, I felt kind of like I was arranging chairs on a sinking ship. And although I had a lot of notoriety in that space and people knew me, I was concerned about stability. And I've always been told there's nothing really more stable than people needing houses. So I thought real estate was really interesting. And not to mention your ad caught me right away. And as a marketer, I love that stuff. You know, good copy feeds me. So okay, um, well, I hey, I definitely want to dig into that. So so let's let's rewind a little bit. So um, so okay, you were in uh, so kind of started your own business or your own blog and started like trying to figure out how to get that going. Did you ever make any money off of that? You said you learned how to lose money. So did you make I money? Learned, off of I learned how to lose money on my first venture um, with Mental Parent. I never made any money. Um, what I did do was learn a lot and fail a lot, which gave me the information moving forward to make the right decisions. There are so many decisions that I made back then with mental parent that I would have never made today. And I think that a lot of people, including myself, think failure is the worst thing they can do to fail. Um, I grew up in a family um, that was poor, were disadvantaged. I was the first person in my family to go to college. Um, and I still am the first person in my family to go to college. We live in the Midwest. The only person. The only person. Yeah. yeah. Um, we live in the Midwest. Midwest uh, life is a little different than, say, the coastal uh, cities or even the South. So 
success is different here, um, at least from my family's values. So failure to me was never an option as a child. I was always um, the cutthroat. You know, if I was going to go to dance, I was going to be the best dancer no matter what. Um, if I was going to join a club, I was going to be everybody to be the vice president or the vice or the president of it. Um, so those failures though, when they did happen, used to crush me and make me stop doing things. And in losing that money, I learned how to make money with my second venture, which was a t-shirt shop solely related to golden doodle and labradoodle dogs because we used to have a little puppy. And I saw a underserved market and you know, grabbed onto the niche and we made over the course of two years, somewhere around $120,000 selling t-shirts from home, like an hour a week. Not <laughs> so, you know, in the span of those two years of failing, failing, losing money, losing money, losing money to success, 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 little failure, success, success, failure. I think it's important to note out of all of that, um, you learned how to fail. You learn how to you know, take that failure and blossom it into something better. I think that's, that that was, that's what I see. That's what mm -hmm. I saw. So I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, I, I see a lot of similarities in kind of my story and what I did in just kind of failing over and over again. You know, uh, a lot of people think that, you know, my company grew so fast and we got to millions of dollars so quickly without challenge or anything like that. But all of this stuff happens with a bunch of like small or big failures along the way that you learn from. And it's what you do with that that's important, right? Do you just take that, do you just fail and then quit or do you fail and persevere through it and learn from it and look at it and say, hey, you know, what should I have done? What could I have done better? How can I change it next time? And it's just, I don't know, being an engineer and having that background myself, I've just kind of like always just turning the dials a little bit. Every time we fail, it's just another, you know, it's just another change that I need to make or another little adjustment that needs to happen. And I think it's cool hearing this story because, I, you know, this is the first time that I heard about that. So this is really nice. And knowing that you have that background, it's probably why you're like a really hard worker and you always want to win. And you have all of those kind of core values that are obvious that are that probably that ad that you're talking about, that copy that we wrote is what attracted you to it because you're like, that's me, that's me, that's me. And I think it's really important for those of you listening who are looking for somebody to hire or, or bring into the company or, or come alongside of you is having those similar core values or those similar, similar experiences. They allow you to, to bring in the right people that can really kind of, you know, drop the hammer for you or step on the gas when you need them to. So that's cool stuff. Um, I want to go back to um, kind of some of like the postpartum depression and things like that, that were going on because um, we're going to, I do want to like kind of move us forward to when we hired you or what was in that ad copy, but, um, and maybe let's start there. Let's start with the ad copy and then we'll go to, um, to kind of uh, some of the things like the interview and, and stuff like that. So what about that ad? If, do you remember anything? Like what was it that attracted you? Because a lot of our listeners might be wanting to hire their first person or their second person or, uh, or somebody else. And what they write is really important. I hear a lot of people say, I'm not getting as many leads as I thought I should, or my, my, uh, my ad is not producing. We really forget that that's marketing and sales also. Uh, and all we're doing is looking for leads in houses. But when you're going out, you know, hiring somebody, you don't realize that you've got to really make sure that this is enticing to them. So what was it in there that stood out to you? Well, um, most job uh, postings are pretty you know, boring. You know, this is the job title. This is what you're going to do day to day. And you can almost see yourself sitting in your office doing that click, click, click day to day kind of Rolling stuff. Yeah. 
And what drew me to that was how, how much it was focused on the team and what you guys have built and what you want to do. And instead of seeing myself droning away doing work, which I knew you know, it's a job, you're gonna have to do work. Um, everybody kind of knows that's gonna happen. But what I envisioned was sitting at a table with a team and talking to people and, and being able to teach others and learn things and grow with a, an actual company. And I think that the perception, you know, when you read something, you kind of envision yourself in it. Um, and that's kind of what I felt when I saw that copy was I saw myself sitting in a room with you and talking about what we were going to do in Q4 and my impact there and what impact, you know, Joe might make or Val might make and how we were going to, you know, move to the end zone there. And I think that giving your uh, prospects when it comes to employment, the best vision of what they're going to look like in that role, that that will get you the right person because anybody will go, you know, I, I'm guilty of it, you know, go through indeed. Oh, well, I have 70% of the qualifications click, you know, click, 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 click. And then you wait. Um, we had to do the culture index and I, I was scared. I was like, well, I hope that I'm not too excitable for them or, or something like that. And I guess I, I passed the test, but, and it, it wasn't just one step. Um, it wasn't like nine steps where I've been through some of them that they frankly are, are too much. Um, but knowing that my personality mattered and, and how the company worked and, you know, the team aspect and the ownership of what we were all doing together, that really drew me to the ad and I saw me in it and I thought I'm the best person for this job and I'm going to prove it. So it sounds like it was a lot, a little bit of future pacing, telling a little bit about the company, telling the story, kind of uh, motivating somebody to want to put themselves there. And when they see themselves there, they see themselves actually making a difference versus just like a, another cog in the wheel, right? Um, so small company, we got to project some vision. We got to talk about what we're doing, maybe what we've done in the past and what we're looking for in the future. And so I always remember, I, I, I want to sit at the, at the conference room at a table with all the staff, the high level staff, and they know more than me. So I know when we wrote that ad, we were looking for somebody who like, do you, are you the best marketer out there? Do you know that you are better than everyone else? We're looking for someone who knows more than we know about Google ads, Facebook ads, all this stuff. Because this is the first time that we're bringing this position in house, right? So um, we've always used third party providers for all of this stuff as we grew and scaled just because I didn't have time to learn it all and train myself. And I finally realized that I'm not the person to do everything in the business. So I've hired a lot of third parties to do that stuff. And we wanted to figure out if we brought it in house, what would that do? And we'll talk about that in the, in, here in this podcast for sure. And then, um, so you saw the ad and then we have kind of a process that goes is, okay, the culture index is, it's basically, we use that. It's just a personality uh, profiling. It's like the disc test or Colby or some of the other um, things that you guys have heard out there. We call it a survey. We make sure we don't use the word test. We don't want them to think they're taking a test, um, even though it's obvious that you sounds like you did. And um <laughs> And so they, they come through that and then that's kind of the next checkpoint. Do they meet our, the criteria of what we think they should fall into? So if you're using DISC, DISC is a free tool. It's a great tool, um, especially if you're newer, just getting going. Um, we used, a, a, obviously, this paid service, which is a lot more expensive. Um, but if you're using that, just check, hey, are they close? You know, plus or minus like 30 
on the disc for me. So, you know, you have all the way up to a hundred. So are they between like 70 and a hundred? If you're looking for a 90 on like a really high D, are they somewhere between, you know, 60 and a hundred? If they're in that range, I'd probably let them through that first kind of wicket. And then how fast do they, do they take that? A survey, you know, are they doing it? Uh, are they putting in the time? And then looking at the resume, obviously, and then getting on a call. So what happened after that? You get on a call with Nate or did you talk to somebody else? No, I did. I, I talked to Nate first and it was the longest interview I've ever had in my life. Um, we actually joke about it now that we, we connected so quickly that we were on that phone for almost three hours together, just talking about everything. And you know, I was very open about what got me into marketing and my mental uh, health struggles and how work, work is my medicine. So, you know, as I said, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder after my daughter was born. Um, and that, it was really hard on me um, because you kind of have a crisis of conscience and you realize, okay, am I like this because I am mentally ill or am I like this and I also you know, that's my personality and I have a mental illness. I found that stagnation and lack of success and, um, you know, doing what I needed to do, my mental health deteriorated substantially. I need to work. I need to feel like I'm making an impact. I, I went through a really hard time of realizing, you know, I grew up uh, you know, with my grandparents, my grandma was a stay-at-home mom. My my whole family were stay-at-home moms, and I immediately, once we got pregnant the first time, I was like, "Well, I'm a stay-at-home mom too. Like that's just what I'm gonna do." And I was so depressed about it; it just didn't fulfill me, and I was confused by that because I thought that I was a bad mother. You know, why why would that not be enough for me? Um, and if if your children aren't enough for you, then Yikes, right? Um, and I found that I needed something outside of that uh, to drive me and to keep me, frankly, just feeling good. It's not a matter of crazy or manic or depressed or anything, just feeling like I'm happy and making an impact in my life um, financially. And just, you know, I have daughters. So, you know, it's a great time to be a woman now, to be able to sit here with you, you know. 60 years ago, this wouldn't have been the case for me. I wouldn't have had the option. So to not take that and show my daughters, look what mom can do. You know, she makes sure dinner's done and you've got your underwears clean and you're off, you know, to, to school. And she's also running the marketing department at a huge company that's, that's doing uh, amazing things. Um, I need that. And I would say that the stigma keeps people from talking about it because, I know that, that you had even mentioned it, that I was very open about that, about that's part of my story. It's part of what got me here and it's part of what keeps me here um, and keeps me motivated and driven because I don't take medicine for, for my condition. I work and I succeed and nothing will stop me from doing that. Um, learning how to fail, that's the, that's the trick there is learning how to slow down. Um, but I would say that to the people who are listening, you know, let people expose themselves to you because this is a team member, but also will become a family member. I feel very close to everybody that I work with. When I talked to Nate for three hours, I felt an instant connection with him. They become family. You know, we, we talk to each other, we see each other. And just like every family member, everybody has, well, you know, 
interesting parts about them. Uh, this is mine, but I think it makes me a better person. And I wouldn't look at somebody who maybe comes from a situation that looks distasteful to you, or maybe you're, you have a bias towards it and go, well, you know, oh, they're bipolar. It means that they can't, you know, they can't keep it together or they're going to be one way or the other, um, which isn't true. Um, there are struggles. Um, I find that my struggles come when things slow down. That's why I like that we're always revving. <laughs> but definitely look at the person, look at what, what they're capable of, and value the openness. More people need to talk about it because a lot of people have depression or mental illness or PTSD. I know uh, we work with, you know, you guys are veterans. Um, PTSD is a huge thing. And yeah. there are so many people who are ashamed to talk about it because they're afraid that they're not going to get hired for a job. You know, I cut you off right at the past. It's like, you can't hurt me with something that I give you. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And so you talked to Nate and you guys talked for a long time. Obviously there's a connection. You shared a lot with him. And then he just told me, he said, Hey, you need to interview her. And so I think I'm, now that you're telling the story, I'm starting to remember our conversation. It was a really long conversation too. Now I'm remembering, I, I think I was driving down to Pensacola actually on, um, uh, on our interview. And I feel, I think my wife, Lucy was in the car with me. And, um, I think we talked for like an, probably like an hour and a half is what I remember. It was really long. And you shared a lot of these things with me, pretty much all of it. And then some, by the way. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and I was, uh, I was just kind of taken aback at first that somebody would be so open and honest about things like this, um, with a potential employer. But I, I don't know if you remember, I, when I interview somebody, especially now, um, I really want to get to know the person more than I want to get to know the resume. So, because I want to know a lot of like what you're saying, I want to know the person that I'm going to be working with and um, that we're going to be kind of uh, on this team together. So I liked, I stopped, really stopped using the word family. I agree. Family's got all these like quirks and issues, but I feel like in a family, everybody just kind of like allows them to get away with stuff. It's like, right. ah, they're just, you know, that's just because they're. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're just family. So, like, really, if I'm going to be on this high-performing team, this like Super Bowl-winning team with somebody, then I want to make sure that I know who who I'm picking for my team. And so, I like to get to know the person because I think that that tells me a lot more about that person. Sure, you have to have the background and the the resume, and you got to have the experience and things like that. Um, but I feel like that's almost like a pay-to-play kind of thing. Like just to get through the door, you had to be the certain the right person that we wanted, answer the right ad, um, have the resume that fits. And then what I do is I spend a lot more time getting to know the people. And I think that's really important for you guys to listen. You can have the best pedigree, the perfect resume and just not be the right person and the right fit for the organization. And it's not going to work out. And it's not about, you know, I ask a lot more questions about like, you know, what kind of books are you reading? What do you do for fun? Like what, tell me about your background. Like what's your history? Like um, things like that. Like, where did you grow up? You know, what, what's, what was, what was it like for you? How much money do you want to make? Why do you want to make that much money? Like, what does that mean to you? Why, 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 why? And we just dig all the way down and try to get to the point where I actually know the person's motivation. Like, why did you, why did you answer our, our ad? What was it about the ad? Tell me about your um, profile. You got to see your profile. What do you think? Is it right? Is it not right? Um, tell me a little more about yourself. And the big thing for me when I was interviewing Heather guys is she shared all of this stuff very, um, very open and openly. And most, I would say like, I don't know, nine out of 10, maybe even 10 out of 10 employers would 
basically shut the door on that and go, uh, okay, I don't need someone like that in my company. But for me, I, I could hear the passion in your voice. I can hear how much, when you said like I, my motivation is working, I really love to work and this is what I like to do. Um, it hit all, a lot of the core values for me, the integrity and the honesty and openness that you had, you weren't trying to hide behind anything. Um, it really, for me was, was a good thing. And, um, you know, I, obviously we gave you a shot, you came in and just started uh, doing great things for us. So um, we had the right intuition from the beginning, but anybody that's listening to this, don't, don't let these things like people that are like brought up in different ways than you or different areas than you or have different thinking. That's what we need in our companies. We need people that have had different experiences than us come from a different place. Um, there, if you hire everybody that's just like you, you're never going to innovate. You're not going to get to that spot. You're constantly going to be uh, sitting in a similar place to where you would get your, your company yourself. So, you know, really well, getting well-rounded and having these different kind of theories and visions. Sometimes you guys come with us with these crazy ideas and I'm like, ah, I, don't, I don't know about that. And, but yeah, hey, let's try that. Let's try that. And we'll try, you know, a lot of it. But th that's what we need. We need people. I need people that are sitting around the table that are different than me, think differently than me. And we all work together to say, hey, what's the best outcome? Obviously, you know, I'm going to make the ultimate decision of what we do and don't do as a company, as the business owner. And But I'm going to give you guys a shot and, um, let you take responsibility, let you fail inside the company, make mistakes, do all that stuff. So, um, okay. We definitely need to fast forward a little bit, but I'm glad, I'm glad that we touched on that because I think it's important for people to know that, you know, it's not just, um, I don't know. It's, you really gotta, you really gotta dig into the person who, who are the people that you, that are working for you and with you and really understand that, you know, like you said, you take care of each other. You, you have the right people on the team because everybody works together to get that. You talked about the end zone. I love that kind of analogy. We're taking this football down the, down the field and everybody's got to, got to hand it off to the next person. And you, you know, you want to make sure that we have the best salespeople because you are, your marketing is going to be the conversion of your marketing is so important that our phone people and our salespeople have to be these a players or else it makes you look bad. And same thing, the salespeople need to have good marketing and leads coming through that are warmed up or, you know, whatever, where they come from, that they're quality. And we're constantly looking at that, especially with some of the stuff that we talked about on the call with Nate, where their pay is based on the cost per marketing now. So a lot of the stuff that we've been doing inside the company for pay structure. So, okay. So let's just fast forward. You got hired, um, you came in and what are some of the things that you saw inside the company and kind of where did, where did we go? Like what, from your background of things that we were doing, what did you think? Sure. Well, I came in and I had never worked in real estate before. I had to do a huge crash, crash course in understanding what wholesaling was and frankly, real estate in general. I was used to selling um, retail or even wholesale goods. So we're talking about things that cost $25. Um, so it's a different, um, a completely different circumstance. When I came on, the, the first thing I noticed was how the team all, they all took ownership of everything they did and more importantly, what they didn't do um, and where we needed to fix things. Um, the first thing that I did was I kind of did an operations, marketing operations, look at everything, um, what we were doing, what we weren't doing, where we could enhance the performance, where we could cut stuff. Um, and in the first, I think quarter and a half, I cut our marketing expenses by 40%, um, which was awesome. Um, and 
that organizational checkup is important, um, especially if you're going to bring on uh, a marketer, is that marketer needs more than just the potential to be a marketer. They need to be able to manage the marketing as a whole, and that means budget. Um, in my experience, a lot of marketers hate managing their own budgets because they want to spend money to make money. Um, but sometimes you have to find that sweet spot. And I found that, you know, there were uh, quite a few softwares that we had that we weren't using anymore. And I wanted to get my finger on the pulse of the marketing department and make sure that everything that, flew, uh, that we were spending money on had a purpose. Um, and that's an ongoing thing because sometimes we'll, we'll get a new software or we'll, we'll deal with a new campaign. And if you don't keep an eye on it, it'll, you know, in a year, you're spending $2,000 on something you haven't looked at. So, yeah. um, okay. So, so let's dig in there. So you came in, you looked at everything that we were doing. So hey, guys, so you're listening, uh, the marketing budget for us uh, as a company at this point. So most of you, if you don't have a, someone in your marketing department or have a marketing department, you as the business owner are the marketing department, right? So when I got started, I, one of the last things that I gave up was marketing. We talked about it on the call with Nate. I held on to marketing and finance longer than anybody. So these are the two things uh, than anything else. So everybody, everything else got kind of divvied out to other people, answering the phones, going on the appointments, selling the contracts, um, you know, project management on the flips, all that stuff was kind of like handed out except for marketing and, and finance. And Nate came in and after about, I don't know, three or four months, then I finally was like, okay, you can start, you know, pulling a list and sending the mail and, and, and making sure that the phone number is the right on the mail piece. So if the phone number is wrong, it's not going somewhere else. Ask me how I know when that happens. It's happened to me a couple times. So, um, so then I, he started doing that and I kept hold of finance. So these are like marketing and finance is kind of what you're talking about, right? So one of the last things that I gave up. So for you guys, what I want to do is you're probably like, man, I, I want to do this organizational checkup on my own company, just you as the, as the owner, and you probably aren't going to have somebody. So I think this is important that we dig in a little bit. So what, what are some of the things that you looked at? How did you save 40%? Like you can't just like drop that bomb and then move on. They want to know there's people are like probably driving their car about to crash into a ditch going, give me the 40%. How did you do that? I want to save 40%. Um, the first thing I did was I looked at everything you were doing. Um, I looked at all of our direct mail. I looked at our PPC. I looked at our Facebook ads and I looked at our KPIs. Um, at the time, our cost per leads were pretty good, um, but I saw opportunity there and we were using a lot of third parties. We were using companies that did this stuff. Um, now that made sense because you hadn't had a marketing department before. Um, I can see a lot of benefits of, of people who are listening here to using third party um, yeah, let me, let me jump in. Let me jump in. So, so we, so for you guys that are new, we've got, um, uh, third party providers. So you got pay-per-click Google AdWords, you got Bing ads. Some people are using Bing ads, uh, Facebook ads, um, SEO, things like that. So these are all the things that we were using third party providers for. And look, I a hundred percent condone you guys using third party. So, uh, if you're really good at running Facebook ads, then you should run your own Facebook ads. If you're really good at running Google ads and that's your world and you know it, like if Heather started a real estate business, I would say, go, you do the digital marketing for your own company in the beginning. And, and if you don't understand 
kind of like pulling lists and direct mail and direct response and things like that, or sales, then maybe that's the thing that you hire out is sales and phones and stuff like that. So if you're really good at that, do it. What I did was I started doing direct mail and that was my bread and butter. I got really, really good at that one marketing channel. Then I moved to a second and that second one was Google ads. And, um, most of you guys know Andy McFarland. He ran my Google ads, um, and, uh, and PPC stuff. And that was my next step. So I had hired him to go do it. And it's absolutely the right choice at the time. And he did a phenomenal job. I mean, we were making like $10 for every dollar we spent, uh, even more in Pensacola, when we were running Google ads with him and his company. And we still were when you came in. In fact, I was like scared to pull out like, so we're using him and then we're using my good friend, Danny Johnson at uh, Lead Propeller, who does a phenomenal job at with pay-per-click and Facebook. We're using him in Nashville because Andy had a client. Most of these guys are exclusive, one client per market, right? So, and then Stephanie Better is also in our group who runs Facebook ads for people. does a great job. So like all of these different providers, there's nothing wrong with these providers. Like if you are the one man show and you're doing it, like I, 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 when I help people and we look at their business and we do an analysis, I say, just use them, like use them, their landing pages. They, they you know, Andy is going to come to flip back in live and present on this stuff. It is incredible what they're doing. So, um, but what we wanted at the time is we grew this company to a point where now it makes, it makes sense potentially. I mean, even I remember with you, Heather, I'm like, I don't know if we should, even mess with Pensacola pay-per-click. Like, uh, it's just so good. We still make like a $7 and 50 cent return, $8 for every dollar we spend. Um, we're it's our website is there. It's, it's ranked. It's good. I I'm concerned about it. So, um, really kind of giving you the reins to look at that. And, and so, you, so what marketing were we doing at the time that you came in and then you analyzed? Um, so what did that look like? So when I came in, I looked at all of all of our marketing. I looked at direct mail cost per lead. I looked at PPC cost per lead. Um, and the thing that I had noticed was because I was coming in and I started running the marketing department, our cost per lead was was artificially inflated, especially with our digital efforts, because you know, when you hire on a company, you're paying for not just your actual cost per lead, but also for them to run it. Right. Um, now you could say the same as like having a um, you know a marketing manager or marketing director. There's still that cost involved, but a marketing manager can do things outside of that one specific service, and also, frankly, dig into the sophistication of what you're doing. Um, when I wanted to bring in PPC, it wasn't to disparage the company that would, was currently doing it for you. It was to be able to rein in what we were doing focus more on our personas, our market, and get more sophisticated with the data that we were getting. Um, that's really difficult to do when you do have a company because I can talk to Val in lead intake and talk to Chad in you know, sales and say, okay, well, we've got this lead coming through this and this isn't converting and why? And let's sit down and talk about it. Whereas a company, um, you know, they have a lot of other clients. They don't, the one-on-one -on -one connection isn't the same. Um, and that's perfect for somebody who's just getting started. We had so much going for us when I, when I came in here that we needed to dive into that data and find where our opportunities were. Um, as far as saving the money, um, we started running our own ads, Facebook ads. Um, we tweaked some of our direct mail and brought our cost per lead down, which made a, a big impact in that, uh, that reduction in our marketing budget. But we also um, got rid of... Um, frankly, uh, companies that I, or services that we didn't need anymore. Um, also, um, like our SEO, 
Um, as soon as I came in, that was the first thing I looked at was our SEO because we were ranked. And I remember this was even before Joe had come on. I, I tapped him and I was like, can you help me just dive into the details here? And, um, you know, we were using a VA for it and that's great. Um, and I've had so many great experiences with VAs, but all of our links that we were ranked for were junk links. So we were spending $500 a month on links that were no good for us. Um, they were very strange. Even Joe can probably spammy, incredibly spammy mm -hmm. in places they did not belong in context that made no sense. And in some cases, absolute garble. Uh, working for another company at the time when she was going through some of this. Mm -hmm. And I, I would come down, doing my development, I would come down and I'd see her kind of pondering, just kind of looking at <laughs> I'd walk wrong. by and, well, what happened? <laughs> what, what are you looking at? What is that? Why is that? Why is that happening? Mm -hmm. And at first, we didn't have any answers. Uh, there was no answers because it was a, a VA and a third party mm -hmm. for all intents and purposes that we didn't have any a control over or be solid communication with. So we were left to look at a mess of a puzzle that we didn't know if we had all the pieces to for one. And it, it, to untangle a web somebody else weaved <laughs> is really difficult. Yes. That's why having things internally sometimes um, is much better because you know personally all the people who are weaving these webs. Mm -hmm. So if they're, and when and if there is a tangle, you guys can get, you can put your head together and figure out well, what happened, where did it happen, why did it happen, and how does this not happen going forward? Yeah, so what I see um, is you've got this like instant access to the data and the response and feedback from the staff because I agree, like I, it's, when you have um, when you have like bigger companies that are like I, we talk about all the time in, in our company, we're this big. I don't know, we're not that big of a company, but we have about twelve to fifteen people. And w when you talk to somebody on the phone, they're not the person that goes out to see the house. So we always want to act like the little guy. I've talked about in a couple of the podcasts with some of the um, board of directors that I brought in, just trying to act like the little guy. Like when the phone rings, we can pick it up and get to the appointment the same day if we need to. If it's a really hot lead, it's really hard for us to do that. When it was just me, I could pick up the phone at dinner. And and say, tell my wife, hey, sorry, I got to go. I got a really smoking hot lead. I got to go buy this house. And I would get my car and drive over there right away. And that sometimes that's how you get deals. So it's very similar here when we're working internally with you guys and our company that we can get the feedback and make a tweak same day without waiting for an email to come back and forth and a discussion and a get, let's get on a Zoom call and let's talk about it. So there's, those are the big advantages, right? So we could kind of tweak some of that messaging. We got the cost per lead down. And uh, you guys, Heather, you implemented a lot of different things like some terminology and yeah. make sure we're speaking the same language. Because what I do is I look back and I see, even if you look at our data over the past couple of years, a lot of times what I see is, hey, that year we actually did this differently and this year we did this differently and then we brought in this provider and this. So a lot of times we're comparing apples, apples to oranges instead of apples to apples. So a lot of what you did was, okay, let's reset a baseline. Let's figure out, let's make our terminology the same. So the sales department, the like, so what we, what I found a lot of times I'd get on a call with Nate and I'd see, hey, our, um, our sales our, our lead team is reporting the same thing every week, but they're reporting appointments set. But is this appointment set this week or for this week and next week? Or is it just last week? Or what is it? And then our sales team is reporting on offers made, but are they reporting on offers made in that they made this week, but that I found out they were not reporting offers made over the phone. And I'm sitting here going, 
hey guys, we, we have to be reporting the same <laughs> thing over and over. If you're making an offer over the phone, it should be an offer, right? So getting together on our quarterly meeting, we, a lot of times what we did was we found, hey, we actually need to reset exactly, make sure everybody's on the same page here. And then going forward, I also told Nate, hey, Nate, you got to make a note of this. So when we're comparing like last year to this year on leads, on offers, on all the KPIs, that they were the same or we're making an adjustment for that. So make a note here of last quarter that we were not making offers over the phone. That's why we could be potentially skewed for the next year. So you guys came in and kind of rebaseline a lot of that. Well, it's still kind of Heather. So we still have, I know Joe's on the call. People are sitting going, what's Joe, what's Joe doing? Joe's like Heather's support animal. Uh, so, so obviously Joe, you came into this picture. So Heather, I know you want to say something. So go ahead. <laughs> oh, sorry. No. Um, well, I did want to touch on where Joe came in on this um, because in the beginning, it was just me. It was the first quarter I came in on. Um, I had a lot of investigative work. Like I was just trying to figure out where you guys were, where I saw opportunity to save money or even spend money and try to convince you to make the hard decisions, right? So I had to come to Nate and I was like, okay, I think we should bring PPC in house. I know I can handle it. Um, but with everything else that we've got going, I'm gonna need an assistant. You know, I, I'm the kind of person that I will let you know ahead of time that I'm going to need a resource um, because my budget is so important to me. I need to keep that uh, something I'm always keeping an eye on. Um, to be fair, I did not immediately think about Joe. Um, although he was the easiest choice for me, I, uh, we've worked together a lot. Um, we've, a lot run, we've run our own businesses before um, where he, he is my strength, where my weaknesses are. Um, I, I am a big picture kind of person. I love the operations. Um, I love seeing the results. And Joe is so data-driven that we really needed somebody who could dive into PPC and do keyword research and do SEO research and frankly do the things that Joe has done like building, um, helping us build the website and um, you know, doing forms and he's a coder too. So that's really helpful to have that additional uh, resource. Um, when I brought it up to Nate, um, he was like, yeah, well, you know, if you think that he's uh, the right choice or if you wanna look somewhere else, it's up to you. I'm like, no, it's up to you. <laughs> Like you get to interview him, you get to see if he fits the mold. Um, you know, this is me bringing forth these couple people, and you choose who the the right person is. Um, so I'll kind of hand this over to Joe to, you know, well, let him explain what he does. I was uh, I was working for Blackjack before I was working for Blackjack. <laughs> <laughs> we just we just didn't have to pay you, right? <laughs> yeah, it was much cheaper for us. Isn't well, <laughs> it, a lot of it happened just because I introduced myself. <laughs> As I said, I was doing web development and I was working for another company at the time. And I would, uh, I would come by where Heather was working and I would occasionally see her sort of, again, hand, you know, head, in the, head in the hand, just kind of like pondering things, right? I'd walk by, you know, either behind her or you know, kind of the side, just kind of peek over and <laughs> what, uh, what are you stuck on? <laughs> what, what you got going? Problem solver. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it just, it interested me what she was doing. And so I would, you know, I would be, the living version of a soundboard for her sometimes. Um, you know, she would just talk at me and bounce ideas off of me, sometimes so she could untangle them herself. Other times, I would give my direct input. It's like, well, look, I knew at the time, 
I didn't know exactly what was going on, but this is this is kind of what I see. This is what I see happening. Uh, in terms of the SEO thing, and that was a big conversation we had. That was a nightmare that <laughs> had to be fixed. Um, but yeah, my background uh, has been uh, in web development, web design, and uh, graphic design. And uh, prior to getting into that, I did construction for a lot of years, insulation in particular. And uh, had it not been for <laughs> the bubble that burst in 2008, I may still well be in the home building field, uh, particularly insulation. But uh, that burst, and that caught me off guard uh, in, a, in, a, in a hard way. <laughs> and it, it was at that point that I knew I needed to pivot. And uh, what I pivoted into was, again, me by development and graphic design. And it's all well and good to be able to build a website and build a website for somebody. But something I've learned from Heather is if you can't market something, what does it matter what you build? You can build the most beautiful thing. If no one's interested and no one knows about it, what do you do with it? So I, um, I would you know, do a lot of, uh, some, she would give me suggested reading things. You know, I want to learn more about marketing. And this went on for a number of years. But I think like the yin and the yang, uh, we work really well together because she is very big picture and looking towards the future and the things that could and can be done. And I'm more right now and let's put it together. Where we intersect is the how. She is the, the when, I am the now, and together we're the how. <laughs> that works really well for us. He's also very good with like, what is that? Uh, just clever sayings, <laughs> copywriting. Um, but uh, yeah. So so Nate so Nate so Nate interviewed you, Joe. Is that how it worked? Yep. Okay. So Just this podcast, I was very quiet. And Nate did a lot of talking. That's <laughs> why so Nate and I connect on a level. We I, just talk to each other for hours. <laughs> I listened. I it's uh, I I listen more than I speak. I speak up when I have something to say. When I know I need to speak up. But I do, I'm flying the wall more, more often than not. I like to observe, I like to listen, and I like to take in what there is to take in and then come out the other side, either putting it together or asking the questions about, well, why was this just talked about? You know, and uh, where are we going with it? And how does this, how is this going to work? And looking, playing devil's advocate almost and saying, well, what if this happens? Or, you know, I'm in these shoes and I feel this way and this thing is going to break because we're doing this. Well, what then? Whether or not I really believe it is irrelevant. I'm trying to look at what could be, right? I mean, what, what, could, what could the potential obstacles be? Because if you're going to build something, you need to do it with certain contingencies in place. And that comes down to a lot of, you know, frankly, my work in marketing uh, assisting Heather is um, running ads and um, the, the content, right? What's the right word? What's the right verbiage here? And well, if we say this, is it going to be taken the wrong way? How many people will this affect? And how many people are going to think about it in some way that maybe we don't want them to? Are we real estate or are we doing house flipping? Are we looking to pay you your market value? And can this be, you know, could our verbiage potentially indicate that maybe we will do that? Maybe we need to think about that and, you know, adjust our verbiage and adjust whom we may be targeting with said verbiage and then create you know additional sets of verbiage to target other people with and see what comes in. And after we see what comes in, 
we can really see what it is because we can speculate all day long. You don't know what something is until it is. So you, you make the best informed decision you can and then you see the results and then you refine and then you refine and then you refine and then you've got gold. Yeah. So I, it's funny. I, the, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably like, Joe, what is he talking about? Like, um, if, if you think like me, it's, and, and you're this, got this entrepreneur, like future thinking, it's what I've always find interesting in talking to you, Joe, is we'll be at our quarterly meeting and you will just sit there and then you'll say, Hey, why are we doing that? Or what is this? Or what, what if we did this? And you'll throw out this, like, honestly, like almost like crazy idea. And then we'll sit there and we'll talk about it for a little bit and say, you know what? maybe you're right. Like, let's dig into that. Let's think about it. And it's, it's almost like this, it, we, we started talking about Heather, but even like kind of talking about you, it's this different kind of thinking. It's this different way of thinking. And you're, you're constantly like looking for holes in the, in the armor almost is the way I look at it. You're, you're looking for like these chinks in the armor that we can just take advantage of, or some, some, like some ways that maybe we could change what we're doing or really kind of uh, very creative things that that could happen. So I think you know, uh, most of the time I have no idea what you're talking about. But um, you know, in those quarterly meetings, when you're you're coming in and interjecting in some of the stuff that we're talking about, it's really powerful to kind of explain why, and then you go, oh, okay, I can see that, or well, it still doesn't really make sense to me because you're you're looking at it from every possible angle as opposed to the one that everybody just goes, this is the way we've always done it. So that's the way why we should keep doing it that way. It's probably the most fatal thing you can do in a business is do that. It's kind of like he's a professional devil's advocate. Like, <laughs> yeah. And when we first got together, that was a point of contention in our relationship because he would argue with me on something he did not believe in. And I would think that he would believe it because he was so capable of keeping that conversation going that I'd be like, how could you believe that? He's like, I don't, I just like <laughs> other people might. I'm a firm <laughs> believer that in order to really believe in what you're saying, you have to be able to defend it. And uh, if someone's going to raise a point to me, and again, it's, it's almost, I don't mean to do it most of the time. I just, it seems to come natural. If someone's going to raise a point to me and maybe I do agree with it, but I'll, I'll take the opposing side, like in a debate, I'll take the opposing side. And I will try to shake their confidence. I will try to shake their belief in what they're saying. And if it's so easily shooken, do you really believe it? Or, you know, or is it right? But if you can fervently defend it with, you know, facts and even values, frankly, because sometimes it's values that matter uh, over facts. Um, but if you, can, if you can defend it, then, you know, you can work with it. But if you're so easily shaken, then maybe you need to reevaluate your thought process. Well, you know, I think, I think this is pretty powerful in the real estate business because what I find a lot of times is I talk to a lot of other investors. I talk to a lot of people in these, in these businesses. I, at these mastermind meetings that we have at Flip Hacking Live every year, I talk to these people about like what they're doing and why they're doing it. And a lot of times it's because I heard it here or because uh, somebody said that they got a deal from this. So I started doing that or I changed uh, after a month because it wasn't working. So I went to this and even the people who are really, really successful in, in our high level mastermind, like our eight figure group that I talk to, they have a stance on marketing. Like let's just call it direct mail. Like 
they have a stance on their direct mail piece and why they have it and what it looks like. And I have a stance and we don't agree like nine times out of 10, I don't agree with what they do, but I do it this way because it's, I think it's working for me and this is why, but I have a strong reason. I have, I know why I do it and I can defend it and I can make them go, Hmm, uh, maybe that would work for us. And they do the same thing for me when like I use Mike Simmons as a great example. I think we're very much alike. I think we think very similarly and he does things. And if you listen to the podcast with me and Mike, um, for you guys that are listening, we had some, some times where I said, well, I, I don't really agree with that. And I don't agree with this. And same thing. We just had a six figure event up in Detroit. And when our members were asking questions, he gave one answer and I gave another. And I said, guys, you gotta, you gotta understand, you gotta see what's happening here. There are two business owners that are running multi-million dollar operations and we do things differently. And if you ask him a question, he's going to give you his stance. And if you ask me, I'm going to give you my stance. But the difference, that what, what's happening here is we both have a stance. We have something that we're doing and we're passionate about it. And we know why. And it's not just because someone told us or because we heard it on a podcast or because we read about it or like you've really, if you're going to run a business like this, it's about trying things, making changes, making tweaks. And, and once this, these things start working, you start watching that and then and then replicate it over and over and over again until it stops working or starts to slow down. And Heather, you talked about the key performance indicators, KPIs we call them, is if you're watching that in the business, you can start to see changes that are happening. And you, wanna, you want those lead variables, these lead indicators, not the lag indicators, not the stuff that happens late. You wanna see these lead indicators start changing. And as those are changing, you've gotta start changing. So, um, I, what's that book called? When the, when the cheese moves or uh, move with the cheese? I think, I think most importantly, the type of mindset and thought process that Joe has makes him perfect for diving into our analytics. Um, I love the data that comes from analytics. I hate going into the deep dive. You know, being that he has experience doing code and writing strings of numbers and letters that mean nothing to anybody else. <laughs> It, it's a level of patience that I lack. I am all about, let's get it done, let's do this, let's think big. And he, he's kind of, you know, he's the micro to my macro. And he can look at Google Analytics for hours and not feel like he's drowning um, and be able to come up and go, oh, well, look at all of this da data and look at all of these nuggets of gold that I found in it. And that's when I go, oh, look, gold, you know? Yeah. And that's really important to, you know, that we work together on that. And he kind of came on as a pseudo assistant in the beginning and his role has really evolved into even more um, tech in, in what we do and creating an intranet and a knowledge base and um, even the dashboard that he created so we can see a live picture of where our marketing efforts are each month, year to date, you know, and, and even beyond. Uh, and, and back. They're evolving systems, but we're getting them, getting them up. Yeah, for sure. So like one of the things, Joe, uh, that dashboard was really important to me. I wanted to see kind of a real a live feed of what's happening. So like leads that are coming in, calls, like anything, like all the KPIs on a, like a minute by minute or 15 minute updates, like 
regular updates. So that's one of the things that we gave you. The intranet, you said, is kind of like this internal um, area that we can go to use. A lot of bigger companies have those kind of things, whether it's, uh, you know, I don't know, they call it their share drive or their intranet or all these different things. There's, so Google, we have Google Drive and it is just full of stuff stuff everywhere, right? And it's, it, you can get lost in there for hours and hours. So really having a place where somebody can look and find the core values speech, they can find um, some of the, uh, the contact information from some of the staff. It's very organized and a place to go. So a lot of that stuff, you talked about like some of the IT and tech things, um, you know, it's pretty much kind of falls in your wheelhouse now, uh, numbers, data, analytics, KPIs, things like that. So, okay. So let's get back to kind of the, the meat of, of what you did. So, you, so Heather, you jumped in, you, you save the company some money turning things on and off, bringing things in house. Um, and so we have lots of different people, people from that are running their own company that listen, people that are just getting started, things like that. Like, what, do you think there's something like, what could someone do if they're just getting started in the digital world? Do you think that's the place that they should start or um, should they start doing something else? Well, I think that first I would suggest that everybody kind of figures out that anybody can use AdWords, anybody can use Facebook, anybody with enough gumption can learn how to do direct mail or how to run a Facebook ad. The most important thing and what makes me good at what I do and what makes Joe good at what he does and what makes, frankly, good marketers is why they're doing it. It's not always the how or the catalyst, it's to whom you are trying to reach and why and what your message is. I think that before you move into any channel, you need to discover if you have a persona that you're reaching out to with sellers. We just recently realized that our PPC sellers are completely different personas um, and not just age in the way that they respond to our marketing efforts. We found that they are a little on the younger side and they also are more finicky, frankly. If you give them an offer that they don't like straight away, they will walk. So you have to be much, you know, and, and this took weeks of us, you know, going with the lead team and working with Chad and the, the sales team and trying to figure out what was going on. And we determined that these are different people. So you can't send the same marketing material to different people. You have to figure out who you're sending it to what your message is, and why you're doing it. And once you figure that out, your little marketing you know, plan, then you can choose your channel. That comes down to cost, obviously. Um, somebody who's just getting started, who doesn't have a lot of money, um, lists are probably, you know, indirect meals, probably the quickest way and maybe even the cheapest way um, to get leads. If you're looking to just get started, throw a Facebook ad up. See how it works for you. Look into Google ads and play around with it. Um, actually, I would suggest that unless you have at least $50 a day, stay away from Google ads. Google's a tougher nut. Yeah, definitely. Um, but you can get some good stuff out of Facebook. But it's all about the who you're trying to get and, and what that um, nurturing process looks like once you get them. So we have all these leads, right? Like we've increased our, our leads by, we've tripled the, the online leads that we used to have, which is amazing. But if I take these leads and I give it to you and you don't catch it, then that is a waste of money, period. 
Um, so you need to make sure that everybody grabs and takes ownership of what they're doing down the line. So yeah, so the, the operational side of things are so important. You know, mm -hmm. we talk about that all the time. You can it, it get, so there's people that have like really strong operations, having trouble getting leads. You have people that are getting leads that can't keep up with them all, like follow up and, and go on the appointments and don't have the sales skills and the negotiation skills that are needed and, and they'll lose there. So really understanding the whole process, but really like, so for me, I think marketing, so you, you said something, kind of know your customer avatar first. So I think the direct mail customer avatar is the phone book generation, right? Is the people that are picking, you know, picking a card out of the mailbox, getting on the phone and talking to somebody. That's not me. If I get a card in my mail, I'm not going to pick up the phone and call somebody. I'm going to Google them. I'm going to go to their website. I might click on an ad. I'm going to check it out. And it's just, I don't like talking on the phone. I know that. So capturing those people is important. So so I think that's, that's probably our customer avatar on direct mail. And we, we do a ton of direct mail. So if you're listening, we're 100,000 plus pieces a month. So, but I started doing probably around 5,000 a month when I, when I got going. That's where I started. And you don't have to do a ton, but it can get expensive too, right? So we spend, I'd say over half of our budget is on direct mail. So saying that that's the place that you could get, should get started. Just be a little bit careful. I would recommend if you're going to do that, maybe some niche lists, something that's a little bit more, um, you know that there's stress there, that there's dis distress, there's problems, issues. If you can stack a couple different lists together, um, that's a great place. We're going to have a guy talking about niche lists coming to Flip Hacking Live that that's all he's going to talk about. It's going to be great. And then... Um, also, you could skip trace those people and call them, do some cold calling. I think cold calling, if you're the one doing the cold calling, not paying a bunch of staff for it, could be a great place to save some money. Um, you know, dr doing some driving for dollars, knocking on doors, networking at, at RIAs and real estate, um, real estate agents that are doing cash sales and stuff. So um, a, a lot of the ways that you can use time instead of money. Um, Google and Facebook have always been kind of scary to me. I don't know why, just because I haven't taken the time to really learn it and understand it. And so I think that you can lose a lot of money there. If you set, yeah. have the settings wrong, uh, you don't have your budget set up correctly. Um, there's some potential there, but with a couple of, I think, you know, a little bit of tips, uh, uh, maybe reading a book on it quickly um, and watching a couple of YouTube videos, I think it's probably where you got started and just be ready to fail and make some changes and, and, and new, test it. Nuanced, especially you can throw, you can have a great campaign, and say, this is a great campaign. I'm going to give more, uh, more money. And then it, and then it burns. Yeah. <laughs> Why does it burn? Well, um, there's a lot of debate in the community about that. So it's, it's uh, ads are nuanced, especially when it comes to Google. So yep. uh, even research. Yeah. So exactly. you, think, you think that our customer avatar online on Facebook and Google is a younger uh, person? What do you think it looks like? So if somebody is getting on well, there trying to target, what does that look like? Well, Think of it this way, if you get something in the mail, um, especially our older um, clients, they get it in the mail and they call us, right? Um, that tends to be a generation that doesn't look for second opinions. Um, they got something in the mail, so they think that this is, this is their option here. If you find our ad on Google, you're searching something to get that. So you're typing in, you know, cash for houses or some, some keyword that generates our ad to show you. You're ready to research. And guess what else it shows you? six other ads. So if they, you know, I believe that from what the data has shown us is that the people who are coming through our ads are younger and they are shopping around. So they filled out our online um, form, but they've also filled out all of our competitors' forms. And then it becomes a race to who gets there first and who meets the price point first. 
Um, and the bridge is burnt far more quickly yes. uh, when you're dealing with people who reach out to you via you know, ads or you know even websites mm -hmm. because they know that where you are, you know they they believe there are 10, 15, 20 others. So if you scorn them, if you're the first contact or you know their fifth contact, and you do anything to scorn them or make them believe that you're not there for their best interest because everyone wants, especially everyone wants to believe that, you know, customer's always right. And this is, you know, absolutely my best interest. Your business doesn't matter. It's, this is, this is what I need. You know, and then back then we got to make money too. It's a business, but they want the best deal possible and the best service possible. And they know that if they don't like what you offer yeah. and they'll go through a bunch of others and the likelihood that you're going to get them back is low. So you got to tread carefully. And there's, there's got to be room for negotiation. And the, frankly, in most cases, these spreads will be smaller because there is way more at the ready competition as opposed to getting a mailer in your mailbox where they may have never even thought of it. And then, oh, ding, this is a fantastic idea. Let me call this. Mm -hmm. they, they may not know how to research other companies. Especially the older folks who may not even have email addresses. You're or, talking about people who can't do research online. So one thing that I saw lately is we've had, um, so every week when the lead team sends out the leads, they send out all these numbers, these KPIs for them. And then at the bottom, it says, you know, Pensacola, pay-per-click, this lead, this lead, this lead, good, um, bad, dead, those kind of things in color coded. So I've been watching this and I watch trends and data myself. And I, you guys don't hear from me a lot. Um, Right. But I sit back and I just watch and then I'll send Nate an email and say, hey, what's going on with this or what's this? And what I've noticed lately in the past few months is that we are contacting a lot more of the online leads than before. What it used to be is they filled out our form, but we can't get in contact with them. It's, we, we have no idea. We're not sure. We're still trying to contact. So of the, let's call it six leads that we got every week per city, there would be like one that we got in contact with and the other five we couldn't get in contact with. And we didn't know if it was a good lead, bad lead, dead lead, what. That is the worst thing as from a business owner is going, I know how much those cost. Mm -hmm. And when I see it and we can't get a hold of them, I know how much money we're losing as potential deals or just that, just that kind of like when we used to send people to voicemail instead of an overflow answering service for our direct mail, I would go, we're only answering 60% live, 40% of these calls. We can not even get a hold of these people. We don't even know why they called. Maybe they're pissed off, but maybe they want to sell their house. Right. And if, if your toilet's overflowing and the plumber doesn't answer, you're calling the next plumber, right? Yeah. So we need to answer the phone. We need to get a hold of these people. So now what I see is they're all almost all green and it says good lead appointment set or good lead following up or like, so what did we do? What did you guys, and, and look, I don't know the answer to this question. I'm asking you for the first time. Like, what is the difference that we've been doing over the past three or four months that has caused us to be able to actually get in contact with way more of these people? Well, I think that it was a mixture of collaboration and expansion. So the collaboration came from, we brought PPC in house. So we could actually identify where the problems were and discuss with Val in lead intake and say, okay, you know, when these PPC contract or people come in, we need to get them signed up right away. We need to get them in contact with them straight away. There, we can't wait three weeks to get a hold of these people or even two days. We need to get a hold of them straight away. And we also looked at building ads that focused on more keywords, um, keywords and long tail keywords even. Um, Joe had done a ton of research on keywords and 
a lot of people are using like voice text now. So they're, you know, typing, instead of typing into Google, they're going, I need somebody to buy my house right now. And I think that that's, um, those kind of keywords tend to not be targeted as much and they're starting to bear fruit a little bit is the type, the way people are searching is different now. It's not cash for houses. Um, not it to mention, still is, but it's it really is, but, but also the competition on those mm -hmm. keywords is pretty astronomical. Um, I think that it, it really came down to, we put time and effort into what we knew about the company, what the campaign was going to be, who we were targeting, and created that chimera um, to, to make it happen. Um, I don't know specifically what our, our other, you know, our third party was doing because that tends to be proprietary information. So we don't have that data. There was a wall up there, so we couldn't, we weren't allowed to know. Mm -hmm. So maybe they were doing the same thing and it just wasn't working as well, or maybe they were doing something completely different. There's no way for us to really know. What I knew was that the collaboration had to be there. We had to all know what the plan was. And then adaptation. In the beginning, we found that all these leads were coming in and similar thing, like we couldn't get a hold of them or, you know, maybe we were targeting wrong or maybe we, you know, maybe we weren't spending enough budget. That's another funny thing about Google is, you know, if you want to rank, you've got to be able to be on the board, right? Um, and we increased our budget in Nashville by like 15% and just, we got so many more leads by just that small tweak. Sometimes it's budget, sometimes it's keyword, sometimes it's message. Did you guys, did you guys do anything? Did you guys, uh, were, when the lead came in, were you guys like on top of it, like pushing the lead team, like answer the phone, call this person back? Like, no, no, no. We, we have that all set up automated, um, zaps and all of that into Podio. So that gets directly sent to our lead team and they get notifications saying call new lead. It helps that the lead team is on top. They are. They are absolutely <laughs> on the ball. And uh, in a lead intake uh, point of view, they, I mean, it's not that they treat them all the same. Obviously, uh, every person is different. But they they just, all leads are important. And they believe all leads are important. And they handle all leads as though they're important. Mm -hmm. And they get to them and they're on top of it. And it's amazing. We've, yeah, we've never, ever had. Awesome. Without, yeah, without, without proper lead intake, our marketing efforts would, yeah, but using using automation to get our our leads just shot straight from our form to and and we get an email and everybody gets an email when when a new lead comes in, but lead in, intake gets that notification right in our uh, our CRM. So. Okay, awesome. So it sounds like it's a combination of you know the lead intake getting on the ball, making sure that they're calling that person right away because they're filling out the form and they want to hear from you right away. And probably the the method of contact too, because a lot of people like if I filled out your form and then you called me, I'm probably not going to answer. If you text me um, or email me, I will answer you back. So that's kind of the um, the way that I that I operate. So it's probably very similar when we started seeing that and talking to them about those kind of things. So. Um, okay, I know that we spent a lot of time here on like background marketing, what we're doing. I don't want to give away uh, everything that we're doing. You guys are starting to get into keywords that are working for us right now, and uh, the nation is listening. So um, there's some really cool stuff that that we have going on. Where hey, you said you saved forty uh, percent when you came in, do you know where we're at right now? Like how much you've actually reduced uh, the costs now? That would be something I would have to talk to Nate about. Um, I haven't. Uh, he told me 80%. Is that true? 
that wouldn't surprise me. I don't know. Okay. Uh, so, so before this, money, more importantly, what I care about is that we're getting more for less. So if I've tripled the leads, even for the same amount, I feel like that's still a huge win. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. And it absolutely is. So, and, and that's what we saw. We saw an 80% reduction in um, costs um, online. So online leads and, um, and then also, yeah, three leads. If we just said, we're going to spend the same amount of money three to one, which it's incredible. Like what would you do in your company if you could get three times the leads for the same amount that you're spending right now? I mean, that's what everybody's trying to do. So um, granted there is some, um, you know, some overhead and expense to bring you guys in, obviously, and, and do those kind of things and bring it in house. But, um, and, and again, I really am a big advocate of using third party providers um, in, when you're getting going and ramping up, like really bringing somebody in house is, is definitely a, a mature business game in my mind. So if you're one of the mature businesses right now, that's, um, that's using some of these guys, it's probably a, a consideration that you might want to take now. And then it's about finding the right person too. It could actually cost you a lot more money if you don't find the right people. So it comes down to hiring, uh, training, uh, leading those people and, you know, writing the, the ad copy and all the stuff that we talked about. So, um, anyway, if people want to hear, see you guys, meet you, hear more, um, about what you're doing, you guys are going to be at flip hacking live with me. So, I'm making sure that I bring out the whole team. Everybody's going to be there and you guys are going to be speaking at Flip Hacking Live. So I'm really excited about um, what you guys are going to share about marketing and data analytics and some of that stuff. And uh, so anybody that's listening that wants to meet Heather and Joe can uh, come out and see us in San Diego, October 10th through the 12th in the Hilton Bayfront Hotel right there downtown. It's going to be awesome. Uh, fliphackinglive.com. Um, you guys have helped with some of the marketing efforts uh, for the event and things like that that we're doing, obviously. So it's uh, it's exciting. I can't wait. Um, I'm ready for this event. It's, yeah. it's going to be good. What do you guys think? You excited? I'm super Very excited. excited. Very excited. I've not been uh, on the West Coast at all yet, so I'm excited to I've been in the Northern Pacific, never the Southern Pacific. So, <laughs> yeah, it's nice. It's uh should be uh, clear and warm, and uh, the water's cold, but it's cold yeah. in the Northern Pacific too. All right, so Flip Hacking Live, October tenth through the twelfth. Come see Heather. Come see Joe. Come see me. Uh, come see the whole team. Anybody that's been on the podcast since I've started running it for the past uh, few weeks, they're gonna be. Uh, they're all gonna be there speaking. So it's gonna be exciting stuff. So if you don't have your tickets yet, make sure you get your tickets before we sell out. FlipHackingLive.com. You can get your tickets it's there. Um, if you need a, a lot of them, uh, send us an email info at house flipping HQ. We will sell out this event. I assure you I'm excited about it. I can't wait to do it. I'm, uh, in major prep mode. I'm uh, preparing all the speakers. I'm preparing my, uh, what I'm going to present. Um, this is an event like no other event. It's really, we're going to give you everything that we do. Like, uh, we open the doors to the business. We're not holding anything back. It's not, um, let me give you some surface look of, of the company. You should be able to leave there and do more deals. Um, if you can't do one or two more deals than you're doing right now by coming to that event for three days, um, you were at the wrong event. I think you went to the wrong location. You, uh, <laughs> you, you weren't listening. I don't know what happened. Um, you shouldn't be running the business anyway. So come out, check us out, fliphackinglive.com. Um, I'm excited uh, to bring all these speakers to you. And I have the next few podcasts that I do, I'm going to bring uh, some, some more of the speakers on and just kind of get to know them and what they're doing and what they're going to talk about. So Heather and Joe, thanks for taking the time to, um, uh, to come on, to face, face your, face your fear of, um, Hey, this is not, uh, prepped. There's no, uh, there's nothing that we talked about ahead of time. So on stage because I can move around. I feel like I'm just stuck here and I can't, 
burst the energy out. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I think you guys did great. Um, I know that our listeners got a lot from this and uh, I can't wait to see what you guys do. And the cool thing is between now and Flip Hacking Live, you're going to have plenty of time to do new things, try new things and bring some new content to the stage. So I'm excited. I'll see you guys there. Thanks for hanging out with me. Bye, everybody. Everybody there. Thank you for listening to the House Flipping HQ podcast with Bill Allen. If you haven't gotten your tickets to Flip Hacking Live to see our guests live on stage sharing all of their systems and secrets, make sure you go to fliphackinglive.com before tickets are sold out. This is an event you can't miss. We'll see you in San Diego.